We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hi, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. In this episode, we are joined by Paul Daglish. Paul grew up in the Liverpool Academy before joining Newcastle United in 1997, where he made 14 appearances with the first team after spells with Norwich, Wigan, Blackpool, Livingston and Hibs. He moved stateside to the MLS with the Houston Dynamo, where he won the MLS Cup in 2006 and 2007. Staying in the US, he moved on to the coaching side of the game, uh, starting at youth development and then moved on to the senior game as an assistant with Real Salt Lake and then recently as a head coach with Ottawa Fury. Uh, this, is, this is brilliant. Your coaches will love this. Paul's insight about growing up with his dad, Kenny, as one of the the famous Liverpool teams, coach and player, one of the greatest teams in English football history. Uh, and then he talks about player development and coach development and what needs to be in place for us to maximise the potential of both. I've called this one simplicity and consistency for a reason. Uh, coaches are going to enjoy it. As always, please, if you listen to it, give it a like, shoot it a tweet, screenshot, um, share the love, help spread the word of the podcast. As always, thanks for listening and enjoy. You grew up, obviously, with your with your dad, not only a manager of one of the greatest teams in the world at the time, and that Liverpool team of the 80s, but it was also one of the greatest football environments of all time with that boot room, um, which yeah. was like a, a kind of a coaching fraternity that, that held that Liverpool, gen- not that generation, but like 40 years of it almost. Um, how yeah. did that, how did that, how does that impact a, a young boy growing up and learning the game? Um, well, to be honest with you, I mean, we, it was, it's a hard one to, to kind of see how it affected you, you know, because what you, it's just normality to you. Um, like when I was, when I was a young kid, uh, I'd go to games at Anfield and me and Roy Evans, son, Stephen Evans, we'd, we'd, we'd hang around. There was a room next to the boot room, which was like the storeroom. Uh, and we, we'd hang around there and, and, uh, but it was almost like the boot room was, you always felt, you always felt a little bit uncomfortable kind of going in, you know? So it was, it was one of those, the, the boot room was, was kind of what happened in the boot room stayed in the boot room really. And it was, it was the, uh, a group of people that just sat and loved football and, and taught football and and uh, and just made you know a huge difference on on Liverpool Football Club. But it was the influence it had on me. Uh, it's hard to say. I'm very aware of of what of what uh, what they achieved. But you know, I, I, as a young kid, we weren't really allowed mm. inside it too often. And when you did get inside it, you felt slightly uncomfortable. Yeah, I think it's hilarious that. All this, these millions of dollars and pounds are being spent on these modern coaching centres, but the the boot room was tiny, wasn't it? It wasn't even that big. 
was small, yeah, and it, there was two parts to it. It was the bit where the boots got cleaned at the uh, at the front, and then there was the bit where the boots got hung up at the back, and that's where the coaches sat and uh, and taught football, you know, and just just taught football. It wasn't that was their office uh, a lot of the time. They'd sit there and and just talk about the game. Uh huh. You think that it almost says a lot about the, the hum- humility and the values in it, doesn't it? That that. that... Inside well, of a place where they clean boots, they they just chatted about the game. It's just normality, really. Yeah, yeah and, the, and the other thing is as well, you can't... What we tend to do is look back at yesterday with the values of today. Mm. And, and you can't do that. You know, it was normality then. Football wasn't, football wasn't the glamorous game that it is now. It was, you know, it was much more... Uh, it, was, it was much more kind of grassroots, if you like. And, and much, you know, there wasn't... It what there wasn't the the riches, if you like, that that are in it now. Obviously, there was money in football, but it wasn't like it was now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Uh, parent coaches, Paul. They're a bit of a hot topic today, especially yeah. in the in the US. Um, no one would have greater experience of it than yourself. But yours, you know, for we talk about it as coaches and and mm-hmm. probably the negatives of it. But what was the secret to yours? Actually, your situation with your dad working. In in what way? In the terms of like your dad was successful, you became a, a you know you played in the Premier League. You went on to have yeah. a MLS career. You've you've made a living in the game. How did it work? Well, there was your dad's your dad. You know, it's like your dad, uh, uh, your dad. You know, everybody, everybody's dad when they're growing up thinks they're an expert on football. Where we come from, you know, it, yeah, it's like. You know, it's it's anywhere in uh, back home is is when you get in the car on the way home, it's you get told everything you did right and everything you did wrong. And and my dad was no different. Um, but my dad probably gave me the same advice that his dad gave to him, and and that you know millions of other dads give to their sons in that car journey home. Um, so it was just normal father son conversations in the in the in the car on the way home, and and obviously the way kind of. Glasgow men are, if you like, is, you know, my dad would, he'd tell you, you know, he'd tell you well done at times, but he'd, he'd always try and tell you what you could improve on as well. Mm-hmm. There's a, there sounds like a purity to that, but at the same time, then the external pressure must have, it was huge on both of you, wasn't it? Um, well, for me, the, the you know, if you, the, as when you're young, you don't really get it. It's only when you become older that you, you really start understanding it, um, but I, I was uh, I was lucky, you know. My dad tried not to interfere in football, and and sometimes, you know, I would play, and just so he didn't bring attention to me, he he would wait in the car to watch the game, so he wasn't on the sideline. So he tried his best to make it as normal as possible for him. What's the you know you've got two little boys? What have what have you learned? A boy and a girl. A, bo- oh, sorry, a, boy, a boy and, and a girl. girl, yeah. Yeah, well, my dad my dad would never try to force me into football, but it, you can't stay away from it when, you, when you're back home. You know, you play it in the morning before school. You play it at, at times, you know. Some, you play it in morning break. You play it at lunchtime. And then you play for your team a lot of time after school. So it was it was something that you can't really stay away from. In, in, in the summer holidays, you go and play with your mates on a local field. and uh, It's something you can't stay away from, but... My kids, my kids really—they they've played it, but they're not—they're not kind of 
obsessed with the game. They like coming to watch games if I'm coaching, but if uh, playing it, they they they'll enjoy it. But they're not they're not obsessed with the game at this moment in time. So and, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and force them one way or another. If 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 they whatever they want to do, I'll, I'll support them. My little boy prefers karate, and my little girl there, uh, she's uh she's she's quite artistic like her mother. So it's uh just whatever makes them happy. I'm I'm gonna support them in that. Liverpool fans, they've got Liverpool kits. They've been uh <laughs> they, we, we've got a. You know, we we they can't they can't escape that. So they they've got the the Liverpool kits with the names on the back. So they uh, when they want to get in Daddy's good books, they stick that on and say, "Hey, Dad, look what I've got on." So that's, that's fun. Um, how much of your dad's influence and or advice, even about the game, was how much of it was was kind of technical football advice, or how much of it was about you know values and character and things like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think football's got a lot more complicated for some reason recently and I, I was guilty of myself when I first started coaching where you, you're looking for a hidden formula in the game um, but if you look at everybody that's been successful in football with, with the exception really uh, of Guardiola most people are simple in their ideas and my dad was no different the ideas of the boot room were, were, were simple you know but, but simplicity at his best you know genius and simplicity and, and my dad was kind of influenced by by that in his football ideas, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, there's no hidden formula in football, you know, you, you get good players, you make them work hard and you keep them happy and, and you've got half a chance, you know, and, and that's, that's, and then and be consistent as well. One of the things that I think is, is difficult for, for young coaches is to stay consistent because you're always trying to improve. You're always trying to learn. You're always trying to find this new information and trying new ideas and at the end of the day, if you're if you're trying new ideas, then you're not consistent, and then the players don't see consistency. And I would say that's something that I've been guilty of in in my early part of my career, um, and something that I'm learning um, as I go on. And that would and and probably that would be the one biggest bit of advice that I would give to young coaches is try and stay consistent. You don't need to give everybody all the information that you've got in your head in one session. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like that that information along with the this the cynical aspect of the game, the the money and the negative tactics that we've kind of we've lost yeah. the simplistic side. So, I mean, how how would you say we get that back? I I don't mind the I don't I see, I don't see it as negative tactics. I don't mind that. I mean, if if you think if you think back to Italy in World Cups, mm. you know, when back back years ago, you know, Liverpool could defend when they wanted to when they had you know, the, the great teams and, and, and for me, defending is part of the game. You know, one of one of the one of the things that that we try, you know, as fans is we love to see attacking football. But you've got to defend as well. And and and, and for me, I don't mind the defensive side. I, I I don't mind. I don't mind seeing a team come and defend well and, and, and defend in a good shape and a hard to break down. Um I just I just like any type of football that's played well, mm-hmm. you know. I don't really I don't think we should try and force people to try and play attacking football or try and play possession football or do whatever you do whatever that you're comfortable doing. And that that's the one thing that I believe in is if you're comfortable being a defensive minded coach, be a defensive minded coach because then the people that you're teaching buy into that. If you're if you're comfortable being an offensive minded coach, then be an offensive minded coach. That's why the game's so good is because everybody's got different ideas. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, and and ultimately, ultimately, that's what makes football great is the contrast of styles. But the, if if you think that what's actually happened in football uh, as well as you're talking about uh, things getting complicated, um, Raymond Verheyen has kind of you know if you read his his um, his books, he's trying to he's trying to go what what he's kind of saying is almost like a modernized version of what Liverpool did back in the day when I was home. I was talking to uh, to a few people and I was. I was saying, you know, people used to say Liverpool just played five a sides, but it wasn't five a sides. It was, you know, if 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 they needed to work on finishing, they'd play to big goals. If they needed to work on possession, they'd play to small goals. If the players looked tired, they'd make the field bigger. Uh, sorry, they'd make the field small. If the players needed some fitness, they'd make the field bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was all recorded in a book what the weather was like, uh, who trained, you know, and that was. It was it was basically they started with football, and and finished with football. You know, it was they they got better at playing football by playing football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to believe that's that's actually a thing right now. We're thirty odd years later. We're we're thinking that that's the secret sauce of of the Premier League, and it's well. The other thing that you can look at as well is when you look back when people played football to get better at football, not not did drills to get better at football. Mm. If you look back, there, there was probably you know, maybe we're a little bit romantic and, and we've got rose tinted glasses on, but there seems to have been more kind of creative players, if you like. You know, players with a little bit of personality and a little bit of uh, swagger about them, you know, a bit of personality. And, and I think now, because we were looking at these systems and because we're, we're, we're coaching players at a very young age, that players now can follow instructions really really well but maybe players of the past could make better decisions during the run of the game you know and and that's make that's that will probably be a byproduct of of the coaching techniques that are being used and i think probably the the best so the best um the best way of doing it would be to find a balance between the two mm. i mean that you've You've obviously experienced as a player and a coach, you know, the different mm. types of lock. You've experienced the modern game. You've experienced the game of 20, 30 years ago. That you've been around the the Beardsleys and Barnes's and Aldridge. Is, is is there a different personality in locker rooms now? Well, it's I don't know. Well, I'd say that um, back then it was, although the players were were famous, you know, they weren't. Um, they weren't subject to the same media intensity as the subject to now. You know, there was no social media. There was no Sky Sports News. Um, there was there was just football, you know, and the way you found out about football was you, you waited till Saturday so you could watch St. and Greasy yeah. and then match the day on, on the Saturday night, you know, and, and then the only way you got your football information was through the newspaper. But now, such is the thirst for knowledge, you, you get news to your phone every minute of every day. So that's gonna, you know, that that scrutiny and and that, um, you know, that that attention is gonna make people, you know, is, is it's gonna change the game and make make the players kind of act in a different way, if you like. Mm-hmm. So, is, do you think it's harder today being a coach? Um. 
I don't know if it's harder or I, I wouldn't say it was harder. I'd say there was different. I'd say there was different um, things that you need to consider. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd say that it, I'd imagine it was hard back then, uh, but I'd say it's like just like parenting's changed from back then. Mm-hmm. So has so has coaching. So um, and what we're what we're what we're seeing now is is kind of different type of coaches coming through, you know, um, and that's that's just natural. Because as the as the you know if if parenting's changed, if school teachers have changed in the schools, then naturally coaches are going to change as well. Mm-hmm. Um, your experience, Paul, of of coaching MLS, NASL. I mean, what's the what's missing here? Do you think are we being impatient? You know, with the talking about the U.S. national team, or mm-hmm. is there something drastic that that we need to be doing at a younger level or the pro level? I actually feel my area of expertise is, is in youth development. I've had, I've had some success with, with younger players. And, and, uh, when, when I worked in, in youth, you know, and and I'm just kind of now starting to understand, you know, the differences between coaching pros and and coaching youth. Um, and you know, when, when you, when you stop working for a little bit of time, you evaluate what you've done and then you realize, okay, well maybe, and then you go, I've actually gone and watched a few coaches, um in since I've took since I've not been working um and just see how they do things and and what what I'm kind of what kind of people uh, or what I'm understanding now is if you're a, there's a way to coach youth and there's a way to coach uh, college and there's a way to coach uh pros you know and what you've got to do is you your ideas have to be different and you have to just like you don't have a a primary school teacher in charge of a university class. You don't have a university teacher in charge of a, uh, uh, a, a middle school class. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you've got to you've got to have you've got to use the relevant words, the relevant language, have the relevant personality to who you're coaching. Um, and what I would say at, at the youngest, at the younger age groups, you're asking where the America where I think an improvement could be made. Um, what you have what you have kind of um, what you need for, to develop players for me is you need quality of your, of your teammate, quality of your opposition, quality of your environment, and then quality of your coach. They're, they're the only four things that you need to develop players. Now the quality of your teammate is really important because that's who you're competing with on a daily basis against, you know, your quality of your opposition isn't as important because that's only once a week. Mm-hmm. Now your environment's something that you're using every day and your coach is something that you're using every day. So for me, the one of the most important things is when I think what the US Academy system has done is it started to get all the best players on the same team to compete against each other on a daily basis. You know, and I think I think that is that is how um that is how kind of the US is really, really gonna take to the next level is by making sure that you you create an environment where the best is playing against the best on a daily uh, environment with good coaching and good players and and there's uh you know not like through actually playing football so playing small sided games playing three v threes four v fours five v fives um you know 
working on the things that that make a difference in football, which is quality and key moments. So working on finishing, working on one v ones, working on all these all these parts of the game that can win you a game because ultimately that's what wins games. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's you can you can break a game down and you can look you can talk about the possession stats, you can talk about the system that the team played and we get obsessed with that. But ultimately football comes down to quality and key moments. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to whether your centre forward took his chance in the key moment of the game or whether the opposition's took his chance. Whether your goalkeeper makes the big save or whether your goalkeeper doesn't make the big save. Does your centre-back track the runner or see the runner or do they not see the runner and track the runner? And ultimately, that's what, you know, it's those individual key moments that that the game normally comes down to. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had two jobs at at Ottawa almost, a general manager and a coach. Um, Yeah. Did you like the business side better? Does it suit you more or what was your thoughts on that? No, it was, truthfully, it's, it's not something... I don't think I would, I would do again, um, and it's probably not something that, you know, uh, I don't think, you know, that that the Otto would would uh, would do again, or maybe they will. I, I don't know. Uh, it's not for me to say, but I think it's when you're the general manager, you have to have one type of conversations with players and staff, and 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 when you're a head coach then you need to have a different type of conversations. And sometimes you'd have to have a conversation, two different conversations with one person, you know, um, but in both roles. Mm-hmm. And that that makes things difficult. So I do think if budget permits that those two roles should be separate. Um, but I enjoyed both of them. Um, I enjoyed both of them. I enjoyed the the long-term planning and the, the strategy side of, of general manager. But I also enjoyed the uh, the coaching side, being on the field with the players of of the head coach. But so I I enjoyed both, but I I, I don't think both of them work together, mm-hmm. uh, and that's something. That, uh, so I, I wouldn't I would take either in the future, but I wouldn't you know I don't think it's a good idea for me to take both uh, going forward again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's always a topic of debate back home, isn't it? This director of football. It's almost a little bit of a, you know, it's not enough. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, you think it's needed then? Um, I think the, you know, you you back home it's called a director of football or sporting director, whereas here it's called a general manager. And what I do believe is that that's the person in the club that should be in charge of long-term development. So if you're if you're in a club, that's the person that needs to be in charge of recruitment. That's the person that needs to be in charge of club identity that's the person that needs to oversee the academy because we all hope we all hope to be in charge as a head coach for you know 5 10 years at an organization but the reality is that you're not most of the time mm-hmm. so you don't want to you want to separate the long term planning and the short term planning into two roles and and it doesn't really matter what you call it it doesn't matter whether you call it a general manager or a head coach. It doesn't matter whether you, you know, it does. Sorry, a general manager or a technical director, a sporting director. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you call the the other role a head coach or a manager. It, it doesn't matter. But I do think that the 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 there needs to be one person in charge of long term planning, and one person. Well, I say there needs to be. I think 
an organisation, it, it makes sense for one person to be in charge of long-term planning and one person to be in charge of short-term planning. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fatal when you know when you put it like that. Long-term, short-term, it's huge. And then the relationship piece must be important as well if they're two. So this well, week at Chelsea, wasn't it? that there's Their guy's gone. He's been there 10 years. If that relationship's fractured or if you're reading off this different page than the than Conte or any of these guys, it's got to be a difficult job. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and like I don't, I don't really know what's going on at Chelsea. Um, so it, it's hard for me to comment. But um, the, the relationship between the two is important. But what I believe is that the, the person in charge of long-term planning should pick the coach mm-hmm. or the manager. And it should, they be, should be picked based on, do you see the game the same way as us? Like for me, what, what would make sense is to write player profiles for each position. Right, like which is the normal way of playing. Obviously, you've got to give the coach the flexibility to change systems if he wants to, uh, from time to time to win a game. But there needs to be a general idea of what, say, you know, what what team A, uh, what a team A left back looks like, or what a team A right back looks like. What is the player profile? What 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 type of stud do that does does team A build from the back? Does it does it squeeze everybody up? Does it go a little bit more direct and try and win a second ball, you know, and then if you know that, then you can make sure that the under-23s, the 18s, the 16s, the 50s are all playing that way of football. And then you can make sure that the recruitment department are recruiting players that can play that type of football, mm-hmm. regardless of whether the manager is going to stay in the job for two, three, four or five years. So cons- when, consistency. When you, yeah, when you change the manager, you know, when you change the manager, and you bring in a manager that plays a different way to the previous manager, you've got to think of the knock-on effect that has on a football team. So now all of a sudden, the recruitment department that were looking for, say say you were, were a possession-based team, and the recruitment department were looking at a left winger to play in a 4-3-3 that built up from the back. He was five foot seven, quick, um, you know. And now all of a sudden, a coach comes in, and what they want to do is they want to sit in in a deep block and they want to defend and then hit teams in transition on the counter-attack. It's a totally different type of left-winger that's needed mm-hmm. to play that different type of football. So you've got to think, and then the academy, maybe the guy that they were they were that they were developing for the first team under the previous coach now doesn't fit in with the new coach. Mm-hmm. So you've got to think that when you change the manager and the manager changes the identity of the team, there's a knock-on effect. It doesn't just affect the team it affects recruitment it affects youth development it affects everything mm-hmm. it's crazy but that's that's almost inconsistent with thinking in top level football clubs but it's consistent with how businesses would work and the people that are buying football clubs are successful businessmen so but they don't yeah. seem to be imposing business strategies to their clubs do you see that disagree with it no i, I agree but it's when you add emotion mm. You know, like football is a game of emotion, and and we've all made, uh, we've all made decisions based on emotion. You know that, mm-hmm. and and I think that sometimes, the the emotion that is caused by, uh, fan, like fan, you know, fan opinion, or whether it's whether it's, uh, you know, or if we get this player, then you know, like the 
they get in trouble if we they sometimes if they start thinking like a fan once they get into the the uh once they get into the position then you start making emotional de- decisions and um i think i think that the but that such is the that is sports though isn't it that is that is football in england it's uh uh and and throughout you know throughout the world that fans don't want to see their team make a profit yeah they want to see their team invest everything in the team so they can have the best team possible mm-hmm. and you know we get very very emotional over football and we get overly excited when our team wins and we get overly down when our team doesn't win and and normally you know we 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 analyze the result not so much the performance or not so much you know and we don't analyze the luck and then when when a coach you know when when a coach then goes to the coach and say look we've lost the last two games if we get this player i think it can make a difference it could turn things around you know and then that's how players end up getting bought or fans are saying we need this guy or you know and that's how decisions start getting made mm. because you've got it you've got to think football's the only industry or sports are the only industry in 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 uh you know where you get you get analyzed once or twice a week by thousands of people in a stadium mm-hmm. so like you you an owner turns up at the game an owner turns up at the game and there's 30 40,000 people in the stadium given their opinion on how they think things should be done then that's on a, maybe a Tuesday then a Saturday then you've got to think then on social media as well the opinion now um can be can be seen the minute the final whistle goes it's either really 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 happy or it's 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 really really you know uh really really down and that is that is modern day football now you know and and when you've got the when you've got the the constant um assessment of performance in terms of social media uh the media and the fans that turn up into stadiums that's how you end up getting a lot of emotional decisions or short-term decisions as opposed to, to long-term decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, what's next for you, Paul? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to, uh, I'm, I'm just working that out. We're going to, we're going to move back to the U S at this moment in time. Um, and then kind of work it out really mm-hmm. work it out. I mean, that's the, that's the plan at this moment in time options uh my options are open and we'll just see what we'll just see what comes up but I, I need to get back involved in in football somehow because uh the uh sitting about the house is driving my wife mad so <laughs> I, need to, I need to get back i need to get back on a on a field or back in an office somewhere brilliant brilliant well hey paul thanks so much for for joining us today and uh and your views are 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 absolutely fantastic so look forward to seeing your next step and following your journey and um and best of luck with with whatever it is thanks very much for your time i really appreciate it huge thanks to paul for joining us there phenomenal insight on youth development and i said at the start of it that it was called simplicity and consistency for a reason so you know, after talking to him, the big takeaway for me was was his points about, you know, are we are we complicating the game and, and the great coaches of all time, even though they worked in a different era, the same principles apply today. 
So yeah, everyone except everyone except Guardiola does excel in the simplicity of it. And I think there's a famous Cruyff quote there as well about complicating the game. And you know what? Surely the goal of communication is as coaches is to is to relate information that players can understand and that they can apply and that they can retain. So maybe the the packaging of of all the information and and as Paul said the amount of information that's coming at coaches today the ability to take some of that away and to to make it simple is going to be a skill that coaches are going to have to apply and and have to learn to master if we want players to get to the levels that we want to get to so um yeah huge thanks to Paul hope you enjoyed that uh, if you did please Shoot out a tweet, take a screenshot, post about it, shoot it to a friend, um, give it a like. Just trying to get the word out on these podcasts and um, got some great ones coming up. So thanks for joining us as always. Any feedback or questions, Gary at modernsoccercoach.com. Always great to hear from coaches. And again, thanks for joining us and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kerneen on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.